You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 264 of Podcateers. This week we talk about how we felt after watching Toy Story 4. Gavin checks out some original Disney legend artwork. We continue our talks about New Orleans Square by giving you some of the background to Club 33 and more. Make sure to check out the post for this episode for images and links about things that we talk about in this episode over at podcuteers.com slash 264. We are once again heading to the Chalk Walk. Our link is officially live and we are looking for people to join us as we attempt to make at least one child's life a little better by raising some money for Chalk, which is the Children's Hospital in Orange County. We have an extremely modest starting goal, which is set at $500. If you would like to join the team or just make a donation, you can do that by going to chalkwalk.org slash teamboatwillie. Teamboat Willie is basically Steamboat Willie, but without the S, so it's super easy to remember. Uh, we would love it if you can come out and join us for this great event. We get together after for breakfast. It's so much fun seeing all the characters out, walking through the parks before it's open. But overall, like I said, it's for a great cause. That link again is chalkwalk.org slash teamboatwillie, or you can go to teamboatwillie.com for more info on our team. Before we start the episode, I want to send a big thanks out to the FGP Squad, our podcast fairy godparents, because it's their monthly support via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible. If you like what you're hearing, you would like to help us grow, you can check out podcateers.com FGP for more info on how you can join the FGP Squad or even provide a one-time donation. Once again, a huge thank you goes out to the FGP squad for their support. Okay, I know you want to get to this whole Club 33 thing, so let's just get this started. Here is episode 264 of Podcateers. Ride like the wind, bullseye. <laughs> okay, so look, I know I've, I've, I'm probably on record as saying that I don't exact, I didn't exactly know what was going to happen with Toy Story 4 because, I mean, look, it was the perfect ending to the trilogy, right? We've discussed right. this before. We have. But I mean, I mean, someone must have been cutting onions in the theater. Because my eyes were getting all watery, and I felt funny. Huh. I I had this, like, funny feeling in my stomach. But wait, did you have that feeling throughout or in the last scene? Um, Towards the end. Yeah. Yeah, towards the end. I mean, the rest of the film, <laughs> I thought, was pretty well made. And the story they told, I think, was really well done. I was very concerned going into it. I think there's a lot of metaphors in this one about being a parent and just getting older in general. And I mean, I don't want to say any more because I feel like it's going to give away a lot of the film at this point. But sure. I'll leave it at that. I think there's a lot of metaphors of life <laughs> in this one. But as much as I felt that I didn't feel like I needed a Toy Story 4, they did a really good job with this one. Hmm. I was not as impressed as you may have been uh, with the film. I 
I I'm on record as saying, you know, kind of the same thing. Like there's there's no point to this one. That it's not necessary. I didn't think we needed two or three either, though, because it wasn't conceived as a series. And, you know, they were able to cap it off really nicely with the third one. But this one, I didn't even feel like it felt like a Toy Story movie. It was so different. Visually, it doesn't look anything like a Toy Story movie. So I have huge problems with that. Okay, I'm glad you brought both of those things up because I want to elaborate on both. Okay. I just, I don't know. It, it, I didn't connect with it hardly at all, to be totally honest. I didn't find it to be very funny. There was maybe a couple of chuckle out loud moments for me. But, you know, it was nice in the end because it, it does get you in the feels right at the mm-hmm. end. But I don't know. I just, I didn't get the point of it the whole time. I was just kind of like, so what? You know, like, I don't know. I didn't, I felt like they tried to bring us a bunch of new characters, which they didn't really develop. And I don't know. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't as successfully done as Toy Story 3, which also brought a new set of characters and a new setting for them to have an adventure in. But they developed all those things so well and they maintained an aesthetic feel that even though the animation had advanced still felt like toy story it was lit the same way it had the same color palette this looks like it's from a different universe and just the toys found themselves yeah there, you know like i i i've i have artistic problems with this movie um it wasn't a bad movie but i feel like you could have put any set of characters in there and told this story. Like it doesn't have to be the toy story toys. It could have been any toys. Right. And it would have been the same movie. Okay. So to comment on the new characters, I don't have as big a problem as you do with them because I think considering the setting, it was fine how they were introduced to me. I didn't have a huge disconnect with it. I was, I don't have a problem with them. I just felt, I just felt like they were flat. They were undeveloped. Uh, yeah, and you know, like when they introduced Lotso, Hug and Bear, and Ken, and all those characters from the uh, preschool or whatever it is, the daycare center, like they were real palpable characters, you know, that were either in the way or became comrades, or and like they were a real part of the story. These were just like throwaway side characters where we saw everything great about them in the preview. But it's a great, uh, it, there's a great correlation to the setting of where they are, though. Because yeah. the the setting moves around, and that's why I feel I'm okay with the characters. I think that if it was yeah, in a static location like Bonnie's room or whatever the case was, I would have had a bigger problem with it. But because of the setting, I was okay with them mm-hmm. being those kind of like throwaway toys that you just kind of see once and you're probably never g- going to see again once you get yeah. home type thing. Uh, now, regarding what you said about it not feeling like a Toy Story movie. I understand completely what you're saying because yes, cinematically, this was shot completely different than any other toy story from the very beginning. We were given these cinematic shots where they were like swooping and panning and zooming and turning around things in this way that I've never seen them do before. So Mm -hmm. one, it is a testament to what Pixar has been able to do with Presto and with RenderMan. Sure. I have said for a very long time that artistically and visually, The Good Dinosaur is possibly my favorite film. 
and then in a close second is probably Cars 3. But this one kind of took the cake for me, because from a rendering standpoint, it is, it, it's immaculate in so many ways. Like, there are some mm-hmm. scenes where you cannot distinguish what is real life and what isn't. And the way that it was shot with clear depth of field, like, there was some mm-hmm. shots where they were using zooming techniques and focusing techniques in order to guide you along with the story Mm -hmm. that didn't feel like a cartoon in general. Like it didn't feel like an animated film. And I think that's where the departure is uh, for, for like for me and possibly for you that John Lasseter was at the helm for three other Toy Story films. And this one, we got to see something totally disconnected from John Lasseter. And so this one was shot in a way that maybe they wanted to do one or two films ago, but because it was John's vision, we didn't get to see it like that. You see what I mean? So now, honestly, I hope, and I don't want this to sound mean when I say this, but I never want to see a new Toy Story film ever again. Ever. Ever. (laughs) Like, I, I thought three was the perfect cap to the trilogy. I was okay with having this one after watching it. I think they did a visually stunning job, and I was I'm good with the story, but I never want to see a Toy Story film again. Maybe the little the little um, Toy Story tunes that they do, the little the small like yeah, five minute ones, the shorts, maybe some of those, but feature length film, I never want to see another one again. Like they they're gonna ruin the franchise if they keep doing this. Uh, yeah, I agree. I I feel like one more and they're definitely fully into that land before time uh, territory. But I, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying on the, the visual aspects of it and it was remarkable, but I don't go to animated films for realism. That's what live actions for. You know, I go for artistic expression through the art of animation. And at some point it gets, you know, they go too far, I think. You know, I, I, I had problems visually with The Good Dinosaur because of the hyper-realistic environments and the cartoony characters yeah, within them, know. you know? I mean, it just, at some point, like, I don't think this was the right vehicle for that film style, you know, because we have this visual history that precedes it in the Toy Story universe. It didn't make any sense to me visually. Um, the other thing that was weird that you mentioned before, and I wonder if Olaf just completely killed it, but, uh, no Pixar short before this one. That was disappointing. What was up with that? I don't know. I don't, I guess I didn't realize that I hadn't seen anything about a new short, but it didn't occur to me until the movie started. And about 30 seconds in, I was like, Oh wait, this isn't the short. Uh This is the movie. That's what I thought. I thought I was like, that's weird. They have a toy story short in front of a toy story film. And then it started. (laughs) Yeah. So that was weird. Do you think that maybe it was just because of a time restraint or because of the new management at Pixar, they just decided we don't have to do this anymore. Do you think this is going to be something we see in the future? Cause I, hope it's not like i really enjoy the shorts i do too but maybe they're trying to really push everybody towards watching the spark shorts on youtube oh interesting uh and then disney plus when that becomes a thing maybe i don't i don't know i i missed it though i i was looking forward to a, a good pixar short um because they've 
always been great. Yeah. So I, I, I like those. I, you know, like final thoughts on Toy Story 4. I agree with you. I don't think they should do another one. Um, I won't be surprised if they do, unfortunately. But for me, it was, I gave it like two out of five mm, interesting. stars. I, I, it was a miss for me. It really was. I think the best part about it was the Randy Newman music. I thought he did a fantastic job. Um, but other than that, it, you know, it just didn't really feel like Toy Story. And I love Toy Story. I really do. Um, I, I don't feel like I went to a Toy Story movie today. I just, it was meh for me. Interesting. But. I'm super stoked about their next film, which is bringing us something completely new, and I can't wait for Onward to come out. Yeah, using the same font as Frozen. Gotcha. I don't care about the <laughs> freaking logo. I care about the animation, man. It is something totally different, and it is refreshing to see something like that because we have seen a lot of sequels in the last decade from Pixar. Um yeah, I, I'm not going to be as harsh on, on this film as I think you are about it. Uh, I think, like I said, because there's so many metaphors of life. Uh, I've said this before with some of the other films that we've watched that Pixar does a really good. Uh, they, they have a really good way of wrapping life into what they present to you as a film. And this one had a lot of, of ways of doing this. Oh, man, I, I want to say so many things, but I don't want to give away the film. So I think we're going to let it ride for a few more weeks and let people watch it. If you've had a chance to watch Toy Story 4 and you have some thoughts on it, you liked it, you didn't like it, without being too spoilery, we'd love to hear what you thought about it. Uh, I think you've heard two different perspectives here, and we'd love to hear where you stand on this whole thing too. So join the conversation mm -hmm. over on the social networks. Podcateers on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. Leave us your thoughts. We'd love to to hear what you have to say, and we'll share those comments on an upcoming episode. Um, hey, did you see the SNL sketch a couple years ago where they're they were confronting the makers of Avatar for using the papyrus font? Oh yes. Did you ever see yes. that? Oh my gosh, it was so. I love funny. it. Your your frozen comment reminded me. Of <laughs> By the way. <laughs> Uh, it was also fun to see the little cameo. Since we didn't get uh, a short, it was nice to see mm -hmm. the little cameo in the film related to the shorts. Oh, I don't know what you're referring to. Oh, okay. So I'm about to say it, but I'm going to bleep it out in the podcast. Okay. All right. It was the segment when they went to go. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, there was a couple of good Easter eggs in there. I, I caught a couple. You know, that's the one of the coolest things about Pixar is the, the Easter yeah, eggs. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Um, man, there's so much to talk about. I'm particularly interested in the two art shows that you recently went to watch, because I know you went to cool. see the Mary Blair thing. And I know you went to see part two of this poster thing at gallery nucleus. I don't care which one you start with. Cause I want to hear about both, but before we do, I want to quickly remind you that this episode of Podcateers is brought to you by listeners just like you. 
We like to call them our podcast fairy godparents, but they like to call themselves the FGP Squad. And if you would like to become a part of the FGP Squad, it's super simple. You can head over to podcasters.com slash FGP for a little bit more information uh, about the FGP Squad, a link to sign up. When you sign up to be a part of the FGP Squad, you are entered into our giveaways. You get a cool FGP Squad button as part of becoming a member, and you get our eternal gratitude because we heart you. Mm-hmm. And we appreciate <laughs> that you're coming on board and becoming a part of the Podcateers family. So, again, podcateers.com slash FGP. If you're interested in helping us out and you like what you hear, that's a really great way to do it. So, to all of the members of the FGP squad, we just want to send out a huge thank you for all of your support. You know, when you segued into that and you were like, but before we move on, I thought you were then going to say, here's some earthquake safety tips. Oh, <laughs> well, uh, now that we're on that topic... <laughs> How are you after the last couple of rumbles in Southern California? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so for those of you who aren't in the SoCal region and you're listening to this, uh, the last few days we've had a couple of rather large earthquakes. Uh, they happened to two or three hours northeast of here, but we felt them big time. And, man, those were the first real quakes we've felt in California, Charlie and I. And they're very, very different than the quakes we would get in Oklahoma, which were like two or three seconds long and just a quick little like jolt would happen, right? This is like the earth turns into a giant waterbed Mm -hmm. and you're trying to stand on it. It is the weirdest thing, especially if you're not on ground level and the whole place is swaying back and forth. Oh my gosh. Weirdest weirdest experience ever i was disconcerted and lightheaded and thrown off for like a good hour after it oh it was crazy yeah how was charlie uh she was freaking out like uh, during the because we had one that was like what a 6.5 on the fourth and then we had and then two days later we had a 7.1 and that was the big one and she was actually outside and I was inside. And so she was out there freaking out alone <laughs> and she could hear things like falling in apartments mm-hmm. around her. And, uh, it, yeah, it was, it was just disconcerting. You know, we didn't, uh, this isn't what you signed didn't up know for? what to think. Well, you know, I mean, nothing was broken Our, you know, we didn't, our building didn't collapse and nothing was damaged. So like, we signed up for good. Disneyland, not for earthquakes. Right. Well, uh, on that note, I stayed home this weekend from Disneyland to make her feel more comfortable because she was worried I'd be like on the loop on Incredicoaster and another 7.1 earthquake would hit. And, uh, you know, a, a, a final destination scenario would happen. Yeah, yeah. no, I get that. Uh, ironically <laughs> enough, uh, this last weekend, you know, we made the announcement that Melissa was going to be helping her mom out. And so she wouldn't be able to record with us as frequently as she has been. Ironically mm-hmm. enough, this weekend, she had a little bit of help with her mom. And so she got, you know, some time to herself. She was at Disneyland when the earthquake hit. Both of them. Yeah. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. So, uh, I mean... Everything seems to be okay. Uh, I saw some video and pictures of people getting evacuated from Smuggler's Run. And it was so funny because 
when I saw how many people were were evacuated, I realized how many people can go on that attraction at once. Yep. It was insane how many people were walking around Galaxy's Edge at that point. So uh, to all of the cast members that were in charge of keeping everybody safe, uh, you know, everybody that had to work on uh, evacuating guests from different attractions, you know, Space Mountain stopped and all of that. uh, Thank you for doing what you do. Thanks for keeping Mm -hmm. everybody safe. And, you know, kudos to all of the trainers that helped make that happen. We do have to be prepared, though, because yes. uh, there are usually uh, aftershocks. Uh, apparently, since then, there's been over 2,000 of them. And if anything, this is a reminder that we just have to be prepared, man. We have to create uh, an earthquake preparedness kit. You want to have some comfortable shoes, change of clothes, some canned food, can openers, uh, water, I think they recommend about a gallon a day per person. That is almost impossible in some cases, but <laughs> you got to do your best. Yeah. And uh, know how to shut off the water, know how to shut off the gas in your house. Those are always important. And um, yeah, I mean, there there's several websites. You can Google it. There's a lot of information online about how to prepare that. But, you know, first aid kits, medication, Uh, If you have pets, do not forget your pets. Obviously, have food packed Mm -hmm. for them as well. And yeah, yeah. Um, Another really important one is when the earth opens up in front of you and you can see the Holy Grail sitting down there on a ledge. Just let it it go. No, just Just don't for it. Don't go for it. No, no, no. Just let it go. (laughs) If, If that happens and you see it, um, I'm pretty sure it's a fake because the real one is in Dokandars. So, <laughs> ha ha, ha ha. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, so, so let's hear about these exhibits. I, I want to hear about okay. these these two shows. So, again, I don't care which one you start with. I want to hear about both of them. All right. So, I went to the Hilbert Museum on my birthday um, a couple weeks ago. It was your birthday, and. Yeah. Oh, dude, happy birthday, man. Thanks, man. Um, <laughs> I got my Pocketeers shout out, so I'm good. Uh, and I went to the Gallery Nucleus show in the future next week. Ooh. <laughs> so, yeah, we did, We decided not to go too far afield uh, this weekend um, because of earthquakes and whatnot. So oh. we are going to that next weekend. So, I will so come back you've the- made me a liar, sir. Um. I've made you unaware of the truth. Gotcha. Yeah. So you've made me a liar. liar. It just makes you misinformed. <laughs> I apologize. But uh, I don't know if many people know of the Hilbert Museum. It actually hasn't been around very long. Um, it's actually the art museum at Chapman University. Uh, it was recently endowed um, by Mr. and Mrs. Hilbert. Uh, I don't know much about them, except for they're the ones that put up the cash. Um, And it's a really cool, um, small little art museum um, right in like the downtown Santa Ana area. Or no, not Santa Ana, Orange, downtown Orange. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome. So they currently have a double feature exhibit right now of Norman Rockwell and Mary Blair. 
So it's really cool. Um, The Norman Rockwell um, side of it is basically featuring one new um, acquisition that they have, which was it's an original of one of his. um, uh, Was it Life Mag? No, uh, Saturday Evening Post um, magazine covers. Uh, It's really dope. But the Mary Blair exhibit has... I would say probably 20 works of art from her. That's nice. Um, all kinds of mostly gouache paintings, as, as most of her concept work is, uh, from the films. Um, you know, there's there's Peter Pan art. There's Cinderella art. There's Alice in Wonderland art. And then some of her individual stuff as well that doesn't have anything to do with disney mm-hmm. um but if you love mary blair and i suspect that most of you do uh this and you're in the orange county area this is a super awesome chance to get up close and personal with some of her work um it the museum doesn't cost any money uh to visit they do take donations and they sell books so they sell a bunch of different books about mary blair right now oh nice um and I encourage everybody who enjoys any type of art, if they get the chance to see the actual original work in person, take that chance because it's very different. You know, it's it's as different as, you know, being live in a theater for a play or a musical as compared to seeing a recording of it. You know, yeah, yeah. it's different than going to hear a band play live than hearing their studio recording. Right. It's, it's totally different. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is no exception. Um, it was really fun for me to actually, it's the first time I've ever gotten a chance to see any of her original work in person. And she is a master of color and, abstraction and design like she is one of the quintessential mid-century artists in my book and hugely hugely worth going so if you can make it out to old orange california uh it it runs through october 19th do yourself a favor go check it out that is awesome yeah Uh, i know i put the information uh for the exhibit in the last blog post um was the last one i don't remember was the the last one or the one before but i will also Mm -hmm. include it in this one so podcasters.com slash 264 if you want to get that information and look you can't beat free if you want right. something that that's cultural and it's going to make you a little smarter, plus you get to see some amazing artwork from a Disney legend for free, mm-hmm. you got to take advantage of that. Yeah, and I follow them now on Instagram, and I would encourage um, art fans and Disney fans to do the same because they also have little events. The, the day that we were there, um, that evening, they were having a talk Um, They had chairs and everything set up um, for a talk that was going to be featuring Mindy Johnson, who is the author of the Women Artists of Disney's Animation, the Ink and Paint book, right? Yeah. Um, So she was actually the featured guest that night. Um, You know, we didn't get to see it because we were there in the morning, but, you know, that's the kind of thing they do. They feature a lot of local artists, and of course, a lot of that is Disney art. So, um, you know, pay attention to that. You might get to see something neat. What's their Instagram handle? I think it's just the Hilbert. 
Museum. Let's see here. Yeah, Hilbert Museum. Sweet. All right. Well, uh, again, we'll also include one of the posts from their Instagram account in the blog post for this episode. That way, in case you want to follow them and you don't remember what their name is on Instagram, you can just go there, like it, and then follow them as well. Super cool. All right. Uh, do we have anything else to talk about before we jump into the main topic? People are all a flutter about the uh, Mulan teaser that dropped. I don't know what the controversy is about the Mulan uh, trailer. What is? It's not controversy. It's just excitement. Oh, people are just in a tizzy over it. They're. I don't know why. I I can't relate. I as hard as I've tried, I just can't relate to this impetus for wanting a live action version of a cartoon. I don't get it. It's weird. Like, you know, I definitely couldn't muster up the willpower to go see Dumbo. Which we saw, by the way, we saw on Friday. Oh, you did? Yeah. uh, I didn't hate it. Really? Yeah. It was pretty well done. It was definitely very Burton-esque. It was way better than I was expecting it to be because it was still very heartfelt. I think we made a comment when we first saw the trailer that it felt kind of big fish. You know, Mm -hmm. it didn't seem like completely awkward and crazy and it felt like it should have been because it was carnival and circus related and yep. yet it wasn't it was more heartfelt and big fishy than you know it felt more edward scissorhands than alice in wonderland or hmm. anything else that he's recently done well, you good. know so uh, overall i did enjoy it it's in red box if anybody wants to grab it a, a copy of it you don't want to buy it you know you don't want to spend the money on it yet uh, mm-hmm. But if you just want to check it out, it is available on Redbox. And uh, I will be eventually adding that to the collection. Nice. Very cool. Did you see Aladdin? Not yet. That's next. Uh, I have yeah, two I... movies that we're going to watch, unfortunately, after we record, which is Aladdin and Far From Home. Far From I don't know what Spider-Man. that is. Far From Home. Oh, Spider-Man Far yeah, From yeah. Home. Got it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not going to get to see Aladdin in theaters. That's for sure. Um, I may go see Lion King. I don't know. I just, it's so weird to me. I, I don't get it. I just, I don't, it's like, it's like, um, you know, the people who love those symphonic versions of their favorite rock band, like what? No, I don't want to hear like Metallica done by the london philharmonic orchestra i, I just like, don't want to hear metallica at all anymore well whatever i mean you know what i, I mean, mean they like... did me wrong way too long ago and i just never got over it <laughs> oh okay you haven't forgiven them nope <laughs> not at all uh they're unforgiven okay um <laughs> very well done sir yeah so people are like flipping out over um the mulan teaser which okay uh We'll see. I think uh, the only controversy there is that they're not doing it as a musical, which I think some people are uh, bummed about, but mm. whatever. I mean, the the original animated one wasn't a huge musical either, just because it had a couple of songs in it. Right. So uh, it's one of the films I least consider a musical from all of those films. So I don't know yeah. why people would be upset about it to begin with. 
Uh, because all of the other ones are, I guess. I, I guess. don't know. I and guess. they write extra songs for them. Like Jasmine's got a song now. And they did a song for Beast and Beauty and the Beast. Which, and... by the way, Evermore I love. I love that song. Yeah, it's, and it's, I know she'll good. never leave me. It, it was a little too Les Mis for me. How I, dare you, sir? It was not my jam. <laughs> what did you want it to be? Did you want it to be more Ren? 3,700 days <laughs> I've been stuck in this tower. Like, what did you want? <laughs> yes. Oh, give me something reimagined, not recycled in a lamer way. Uh yeah, that that's funny, dude. No, I look, I'm happy for the people that love these movies. I just can't relate. That's that's all. You know, they're they're very 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 successful, so they're doing something right. Yeah, that's it's true. It's just not something I need. And I almost feel like as successful as they've been with, you know, Beauty and the Beast and Cinderella and everything that's come out, I feel like The Lion King is going to do better than all of them. It just might. I mean, it was the biggest hit of that decade for them. So I don't see why this one won't be the biggest live action hit for them. Yeah. Well, we shall see. I don't think I don't think Little Mermaid will though, because people are up in arms about the casting for some <sighs> reason. It'll be fine. I know. It's just I. I don't. I don't understand it. I just. I don't either. I think she's gonna do great. It'll be yeah. fine. All right, well, if you have any thoughts on this whole everything has to be remade into a live-action film these days, you know, leave us a comment. Again, we'd love to hear what your thoughts are on it, and we'll share those thoughts on an upcoming episode, Podcateers on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Uh, So in our discussions, I was reminded of another little thing that I thought was really cool. Uh, Do you ever use the app Waze to do any navigating? Every day. Okay, cool. So I am new to Waze, um, but I use it a fair amount now that I've discovered it because it helps me learn this vast network of streets and, well, this vast network of parking lots that uh, Southern California is. Uh, And have you seen the little advertisement that's been popping up for Toy Story 4? No. Okay, there's been an advertisement that pops up and it asks you a question like, do you want to go into Toy Story mode or something like that? Oh, uh, they've done and that before. I finally clicked yes and it turns the little avatar of my car into a little Buzz Lightyear car. That's cool. <laughs> so I've been driving around for a couple of weeks in this little Buzz Lightyear car. It's kind of awesome. Yeah, I don't use it long enough for it to trigger that for me. Usually I just ah. launch it to see what streets are most open for me because my commute isn't very long. Got um, it. But... When I had a longer commute, the last one that I changed over to was when they did the Star Wars tie-in and you were flying mm-hmm. around a TIE fighter. No! Yeah, it was super oh, I awesome. I hope they do that again for episode nine. Yeah, they've, they've done those <laughs> tie-ins a lot. And cool. I'm so glad that as an iPhone user, you are using a Google product because I think you've come to the realization that Apple Maps just isn't great. Is that what uh, Waze is? Yes. Back ah. in 2013, Google uh, bought Waze, and so a lot of the Waze technology is built into Google Maps now. Yeah, I don't think I've ever used Apple Maps. I think before that, I would use Google Maps. Interesting. So Good yeah, you, sir. and and this isn't like a Google versus iPhone thing. No, but it is. <laughs> but it is. But Google just has a lot more information to help you get from point A to point B faster because they've yeah. just been aggregating and stealing people's data for a lot longer. 
So well, yeah, and they've got the cars that drive around and map yeah. everything. They got the dudes walking around with the weird periscope backpacks, <laughs> which, mapping everything. Which in person looks super weird, by the way. Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, yeah, I I I'm a big fan of Waze. I think it's great. When I shop for apps, I don't even look at who the maker is. I just look at how how highly rated it is, and, oh. I, and if people have recommended it to me, I, I go for that. Oh, then forget forget what I said. It's just Waze and <laughs> Waze alone. <laughs> Look, I don't think Android and Google are all bad. They're it just their operating systems don't make any sense to me, so I don't use them. You know what? You know what I just realized? We haven't had a really good Apple versus iPhone debate on the podcast in a really long time. It has been a while. Yeah, yeah you're mm-hmm. right. You're right. I'm not going to start one now. I love the fact that my Mac and my iPad and my phone are like just synced up like they're Siamese twins all the time. I yeah. love it. You just move things easily back and forth. It's great. Ironically enough, so are my phone and my computer using Google products. Like yeah, Google they, Drive. Google they're starting Docs. To catch up. They're starting to catch up. Google, Google Docs sucks. I hate Google Docs so much. They're Google terrible. Docs. Look, Google Docs is fine when you just need to quickly write something up. Yeah, I guess. Like Google Sheets. Okay. I'm a huge Excel nerd. I love Excel. I think it's one of the most amazing, powerful, magical programs ever created. Google Sheets is the worst. It's it like this tease of a spreadsheet. Yeah. And if you have something beautifully done in Excel and you move it into a Google Sheet, not gonna work. Forget it. Nope. Forget it. Yeah. Ugh. Google Sheets. And my company is... is obsessed with Google Docs right now. Like we have to do everything through that, and it's oh, just no. no, it's impossible. Oh. I mean, it is. Look, the price is right. You know, compared to Office and Office three sixty five. The sure. price is totally right for Google Docs, and I understand why so many companies are doing it. I understand why schools are using it as the basis to teach kids how to use Excel and Word you know, through this free form factor. Mm-hmm. But yes, Google Sheets, I know we've tried to do like some stuff on there for us, and it is like Excel light, 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 lighter, <laughs> lightest light version. Yeah. And it's horrible. So I will agree agree. with you on that. But you know what? I think we come from a different world, though, because I think for the people that are learning this for the first time, like the students in school, it's great. This is how they're going to learn how to do things. And it I think it is done that way on purpose so that it doesn't Mm -hmm. scare you, because when Mm -hmm. you look at the ribbons in Excel, for instance, you look at all of the tools that are available to you and you freak out. You know, mm-hmm. most people look at it and they won't even touch it. They just say, hey, Hazen, can you do the spreadsheet for me? You know, because they just don't want to <laughs> even attempt it. Yeah. So uh, basically everybody at my work, if they need a spreadsheet, they come to me. They're yeah, like, that's how I am. Excel, I'm right? like the resident Excel nerd at, at work. So I, I oh, get that. awesome. We I should get, get together and like do some spreadsheets. Dude. Have a spreadsheet party, bro. Dude, we totally should. <laughs> We totally Nerdiest should. thing ever. Wait, <laughs> speaking of nerdy things, though, how is uh, Wizards Unite going for you? Are you back on that, or are you still trying to pokey it up? Uh, a little of both. I just finished the event that was going on. They had a flora and fauna event that was supposed to be uh, limited, and I finished it eh, maybe three days ago. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, man, it was underwhelming. Hmm. I usually finish a Pokemon event and I think to myself, yeah, I worked hard for this. 
Uh, but there's several aspects about Wizards Unite that just the the point of entry versus Pokemon Go is starting to get kind of annoying because with Pokemon mm. Go, you can acquire items from either a Pokestop or a gym. And so if you have one within your proximity, you can still play without having to dump a lot of money into the game, like real world oh, money. Okay. But with Wizards Unite... Like the when you try to get more Harry Potter scars to cast your magic or lightning bolts, um, you can only do it in the actual inns or greenhouses if you're lucky. If you find a fortress, which is a Pokemon gym, you can't get them there. They're only meant for fighting. And so for people that don't have Hmm. inns near them, they have to dump real world money into this. And the point of entry is five dollars when it's on sale and then if you want to be able to acquire more it's five dollars for some ridiculous amount like 10 more lightning bolts or something like that it's horrible like when it comes to that so there are some things that i'm very quickly not liking about the game it hasn't stopped me from playing i'm personally lucky enough that during my lunch break i can go on campus on our main campus and there's a lot of locations where I can quickly fill up. But if I don't do that, I'm kind of stuck not really being able to play unless I take a detour after I pick up the kids in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, yeah, still, um, it still hasn't completely, uh, you know, made me a full fan the way that Pokemon Go did. Yeah. Like the the almost instant magic of Pokemon Go, even though it was so limited upon release, I, I don't feel it's completely there with Wizards Unite yet. I think Got it's it. still missing some features. But uh, overall, uh, you know, the fact that there's 1,700 storylines going on at once in Wizards Unite, I guess at some point is good. Interesting. I mean, uh, I'm not surprised by a lot of that. Do you think they'll course correct at all? I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. It'll be interesting. Because I really want to like the game. You know, I I love the Harry Potter franchise and I really want to just love this game. But like I said, there's just a few quirks in it. And then the point of entry with purchasing these items or expanding your bag Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. It's expensive, man. It's way more expensive than in Pokemon Go. Yeah. Huh. So do you I've asked this before, but do you think uh, Disney will compete in this arena oh dude i hope they do do. something oh i've been for this for so long i wanted them to integrate something into the disney play app where you're trying to like high five characters in vr or you're trying to catch tinkerbell and the fairies in vr or you're trying to collect cookies for jack jack in vr or like it's just catered to the land that you're currently walking around in and so it because it uses gps technology it knows where you are and maybe when when they open up the the marvel area or as you like to call it stark park they'll have little like avengers emblems that you go around collecting in the world or something like i don't know i i think there's so much potential for disney to do something like this and i really wish they would jump on it yeah i mean but i i guess i'm asking more about do you think they'll do a worldwide app like pokemon go where you can play anywhere not just in the park no you don't think they will no because i think um as much as there is appeal 
for Disney characters. I think there's more of an appeal of doing it as something that they can charge you for with food or concessions at mm. the park. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay. For yeah. everything else, there's Sum Sum and there's <laughs> Disney Kingdoms and there's all those other apps that you can play that don't require yeah. you to be in the park. That's true. That's true. Hmm. So. Well, uh, and and on a side note, who doesn't want to hang out and play with Captain Frisbee in Stark Park and maybe work with him to build a Groot house? I mean, right? come on. Like, Stark Park is going to be the best. Or stand right next to the Hulk in VR and see who can smash the ground yeah. you know, the fastest, you know? I yeah. don't know. There's so much potential. <laughs> so much potential. I'm so for it. Disney, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's develop a storyline. Let's develop a concept. I'm available. They're going to slap us with NDAs here because they've already started. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> that just means we're on the right track, Gavin. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I think it's time to jump into our main topic for this week. What do you think? Yes. I My appetite is full. I'm ready to... Taste the delicious information which you're about to provide us. I don't know about how delicious it is, but before we do, I just want to remind you that if you can't join the FGP squad, we have another really great way for you to help out the podcast. The next time you need to buy something on Amazon, start that purchase by going over to podcateers.com slash Amazon and clicking on the big Amazon button. Because doing that is going to take you to Amazon's homepage using our special link, and anything that you buy may earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon because we mentioned them on this podcast. And guess what? Prime Day's coming up. Two days of Prime Day, as a matter of fact. So if you're going to be doing all that good Prime shopping... Make sure to start at podcasters.com slash Amazon and then click on that button. To everyone that's already taken a couple of seconds to do that before each of their purchases, we just want to say thank you for your support. All right. Uh, as you know, at every month we try to concentrate on a new land, an attraction, and this month we've been concentrating on New Orleans Square. In the last episode, Gavin brought us the history of New Orleans Square, and in this episode, I'm going to be talking to you a little bit about Club 33. Um, so Club 33, uh, you know, it's a name that many have heard, and yet by comparison, so few have actually experienced. Mm-hmm. Back in the early days of the podcast, uh, episode 33 to be exact, we gave a general history of Club 33. Now, you could totally go back and listen to that episode, but I'm going to TLDR it for you right now. But I'm also going to include some new information that I've learned since we recorded that original episode. So uh, as Disney was closing in on its first decade of operation, the genius of Walt Disney had spread far beyond the realm of the original 160 acres that he built his park on. By then, Walt had deals in place that would bring his and his Imagineers' creative and technical abilities to the 1964 and 1965 World's Fair. Overall, Walt and his Imagineers would become involved in four attractions, something that we touched on in episode 248 when we talked about Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, which was sponsored by the state of Illinois. They also created the Magic Skyway, presented by Ford, 
It's a Small World, presented by Pepsi-Cola and UNICEF, and the Carousel of Progress, located in General Electric's Progress Land. Overall, one of the best things that came from that for the Disney company was the ability to do R&D on the tech that they had already developed, but on someone else's dime. So what does this have to do with Club 33? I'm so (laughs) glad that you asked, Gavin. See, one of the best views that we get into the past of Club 33 comes from Disney legend Jack Lindquist in his book, In Service to the Mouse. You see, one of the things that stuck out the most to Walt about the World's Fair was the VIP lounge experience. In particular, the VIP lounge that was only accessed by elevator in the General Electric uh, Pavilion. Of all the things in the lounge, though, the one that stood out the most was the bar. And since all four attractions were fondly received, Walt began negotiating with the sponsors to bring those attractions to Disneyland. And during those negotiations, General Electric said that they would love to continue their sponsorship as long as they had a VIP lounge with booze. This was a problem for Walt because he had always intended on Disneyland being a dry park. Negotiations almost fell through until Walt came up with a solution. Instead of creating a VIP lounge that was attached to the attraction, He would instead offer to create a VIP lounge that did serve alcohol with meals in a brand new area of Disneyland that was being built, which would become New Orleans Square. General Electric agreed, and the Carousel of Progress would be coming to Disneyland, and thus began the legacy of Club 33. So, as we talked about in the original Club 33 episode, there is some speculation about where the name Club 33 actually came from. Some say that it was named after the original 33 sponsors of Disneyland when it opened, but there is some evidence out there that shows that Disneyland had way more than 33 sponsors because some came and went over the years. So it's caused some contention. Now, there is documented proof that when the club opened, there was 33 corporate sponsors at Disneyland. And so many are inclined to say that this is enough proof to say that the club derives its name from that sponsor list itself. Jack Lindquist, however, said that Walt just liked the number three. And they went with a name that reflected that. But Walt passed away prior to the opening of Club 33. So it's kind of hard to say if that was actually the case. Some even say that it's named after the address in New Orleans Square, which is technically the story that Disneyland cites. And yet there are others that have gone as far as arguing that it was because Walt was a 33rd degree Mason that gave the club its name. Regardless of its name origin, Club 33 has become one of the premier locations to visit at any Disney park. Over the years, Club 33 has seen its share of changes. During its development, Walt had Disney legend Dorothea Redmond work on the design of the club, offering Walt beautiful watercolor renderings. Walt and his wife Lillian collected furniture from the real French Quarter, but it also included props and concept art from many films. Sadly, Walt never had a chance to see the opening of the club since it opened six months after his passing. But once completed, it was a beautifully adorned masterpiece well-suited for what Walt originally intended it to be. 
a location where his sponsors, dignitaries, and guests could enjoy a higher-end meal and have a VIP experience in his park. The golden-accented light green door on Rue Royale, with the large 33 to its left, is just the first part of the presentation. For many years, many people didn't even know that the club existed. They just felt that the door was part of the wonderful New Orleans-style theming that was a part of the land. But once you were granted access, you entered the foyer with a staircase and a replica of a beautiful French lift that Walt tried to purchase while in Paris, but was denied. So, you know, he built his own. He sent Imagineers over. They got exact measurements and pictures and everything. And he built an exact replica because that's how Walt does. Upstairs were the dimly lit lounge alley, trophy room, and main dining room areas. Lounge Alley had some of the best-known treasures in the club, an ornate foam booth from the happiest millionaire, and a custom-built harpsichord for Lillian with a Renaissance-style art piece hand-painted by Disney legend Colin Campbell, which, by the way, has actually been played by Sir Elton John and Sir Paul McCartney. So there's your Beatles tie-in for the episode, Gavin. I need to go to this place so bad. (laughs) Uh, One of my favorite features that was never really used was that Walt had animatronic birds installed in the club Mm -hmm. along with hidden microphones. The idea was that the microphones would serve the purpose of providing a magical experience to guests by having servers bring them something prior to them even asking for it and to also serve as a two-way communication device. You see, the Animatronic birds were meant to serve as live entertainment because in a small room behind the maitre d', there was to be an actor responding as the animatronic bird. Also, uh, in a refresh of the club, there was a bar added to the lounge alley that had special drinks like the Toad Hall and Fez Parker labeled Pinot Noirs. Uh, To just own one of those bottles today. Ah, (laughs) want one. In 2013, changes were announced for the exclusive club when then-president of the Disneyland Resort, Michael Colglazer, sent a letter to members talking about how Imagineer Kim Irvine would be leading the club's upcoming renovation. The last day to visit Walt's original Club 33 would be January 5th, 2014. On September 5th, 2014, the club reopened its doors to its members. As part of the reimagining of the club, Lounge Alley and the Trophy Room were removed, making way for a new dedicated kitchen for the club, because until then they had shared one with the Blue Bayou. The hallways were also widened, the areas were made much brighter, a new wine cellar was installed. The main dining room was redesigned to include large windows for more elegant and a lighter setting. New flooring was installed and was renamed Le Grand Salon. Drawing inspiration from Tiana's place from the film The Princess and the Frog, Kim Irvine used what was once storage above the French market and expanded it to become Le Salon Neveu. I nailed that, right? Yeah. Oh, your French is impeccable. I know. What can I say? Yeah. Uh, They install beautiful skylights, a gorgeous grand piano adorns the room, and a hand-carved wooden bar were installed and were all based on the original design concepts created by Dorothea Redman. And this is actually a, a pretty amazing thing because I feel that when the club was being designed, 
there wasn't a lot of money that was being spent on it because so much money was being spent on the rest of New Orleans Square. So I feel that all of these plans would have maybe been implemented years after the club was opened had Walt still been around versus having waited all these years to do this type of redesign. Mm -hmm. um, but one of the biggest changes, of course, that came with the club redesign was the relocation of the entrance. The mm -hmm. French lift was relocated to the Court of Angels when it was closed off to the public and the entrance was relocated to site of, here's my French again, you ready for this? Yep. L'Ornement Magique shop. <laughs> huh? Huh? Nailed it, right? Perfect. Thus giving us Club 29. <laughs> because, you know, that, that, that was the address of... Ornament magique. Can you imagine if they actually did that? Oh, uh, look, when they changed the logo, people were in a tizzy. If they actually changed it to 29, whoo, whoo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the door itself was kept the same, but now adorned with brass accents instead of the gold accents that we saw on the other door. And a new doorbell showing off the brand new Club 33 logo was installed. The old door still remains as a remnant of Disney past and a constant reminder that it's still too expensive for me to get a membership, but, you know, <laughs> it's still a great photo op. So why not take advantage? Since opening, Club 33 has expanded to some praise and some criticism to include clubs at Tokyo Disneyland located in the World Bazaar area, which is their version of Main Street, Shanghai Disneyland located on Mickey Avenue, again, their Main Street, and at Walt Disney World. Ironically enough, each resort will have their own Club 33 when it's all said and done. The one at Hollywood Studios is already open. The one at Epcot also opened last year. The one at Magic Kingdom, I believe, is in the process of opening. I think at the end of last year, it was almost completed. And the one at Animal Kingdom will be opening soon after. Uh, each one is themed to the land. But for some reason, when I look at the buildings, I get that they're adorned really nicely inside. But they just look like buildings. They don't... It, Really? There's something magical about having Club 33 at New Orleans Square and, yeah. you know, like on that second floor and making it feel like it's a secret thing. And at Walt Disney World, it just they're just out in the open and it just oh, really? it doesn't feel secret. They're it ground feel, level. I do believe that the ones in Hollywood Studios and Epcot are on a second floor level. Mm. Um, but the one in Magic Kingdom and the one at, at Animal Kingdom will be ground level. And so it just, I don't know. I, it just, I know I'm not a member and I know that I'm, I'm possibly not going to get a chance to enter any of those as well, considering that each one requires its own membership fee to yeah, get into, yeah. which I thought was weird. But I don't know. There's a, there's a lot to be said about the mystique of having it hidden and considering it secret. And if you know about it, you know about it, you know, and you see the people up there and you always wonder, Oh, how do I get up there? How do I do? How do I eat up there? Can I just go up the stairs in the French market and eat up there? Oh no, there is no way to do that. And you know, <laughs> I, I just, I love the fact that it's a secret club and yeah, uh, the fact that it's opened in other locations, I understand why there's a lot of controversy behind it because there's only one Club 33, really. 
you know, is the one that Walt designed. Yeah. And by opening it up in other areas, I get it. You know, people with a lot of money want to be able to experience that whenever they want to, if they live on that coast or in that country. But mm -hmm. then it's just not Club 33 anymore. Now it's just a franchise. Yeah. You know, it's, and there's there's something to be said about having it in multiple parks. But yeah, that's that's Club 33, man. That's quick history and um, talking about it and the expansion. So I want to talk in a minute about uh, 1901 in a second. But um, my closest exposure to Club 33 at Disneyland, the one and only Club 33 in my book, uh, it was on the walk in Waltz footsteps tour. Um, for those of you who don't know what that is, it is, um, a three to three and a half hour tour, um, uh, throughout Disneyland with a tour guide where they, um, give you tons of history, um, about Walt's actual impact on the park, the things that he was involved in. And, um, Part of the tour switches back and forth either between Walt's apartment or the Dream Suite, which is located above Pirates of the Caribbean, which was originally intended to be the Disney family's expanded in-park apartment. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of all part of the same Club 33 complex. And one of the interesting things about it is that Walt in the 60s was... A big fan of jazz music you know that was one of the reasons New Orleans Square was even a thought in his mind um, it's the big reason that Jungle Book was created as a jazz piece because originally it was going to be very dark and brooding kind of Kipling inspired music and Walt came in one day and basically said no we're flipping this on its head this is going to be a swinging jazz picture and that's what it became, you know. We can't even imagine the Jungle Book without, you know, Bare Necessities and I Want to Be Like You and all that great jazz music, right? But what would it have been if the Beatles actually took the job? <sighs> I've got so many mixed emotions about that. <laughs> uh, we can talk about that uh, later. Uh, but one of the original ideas uh, of this new upper story of New Orleans that Walt conceived of was having a jazz club up there, you know, as a part of this VIP restaurant and lounge and everything. And to me, that's the one thing that it has never really had that I always wished it would have had. You know, um, his kind of idea was, you know, kind of let the evening wind down with the family, put the grandkids to bed, and then he could literally go out the back door of his apartment down a corridor and be at Club 33 where he could have dinner, listen to some jazz, mingle with some VIPs, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I love that idea. To me, that's like the most romantic idea ever to live inside your theme park, which you built, and have this great experience at the end of your hallway waiting for you you know right. like to me that was quintessential walt as a dreamer you know i love that and i and i wish they would had done that um but also as a part of that tour before the renovations to club 33 in 2014 they used to let you into that green door into the lobby into of the club foyer. 33 yeah. yeah to the foyer where you could look up the stairs, you could look at the elevator, you could actually even get a photograph on the stairs. That's cool. But from that 
entryway, you couldn't actually see any part of Club 33. It's very still sequestered. Um, so I've been in there, and that was neat. Uh, but still waiting for that invite. Just throwing that out there. I'm, uh, I'm still waiting for one, too. <laughs> Uh, anyway, the, uh, the 1901 lounge over in DCA, um, uh, is kind of like a wing of club 33, which I find very interesting. Yeah. And I actually talked to a club 33 member once who told me that when they announced it originally, it was going to be a completely separate membership. And basically all of the members like threw up their hands and was like, no, 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 no. Mm -hmm. We, we get that. Um, so unlike all the clubs in, um, Disney world, um, that's, uh, that's included in the club 33 membership, which I think is interesting. And I've, we've actually both been inside 1901. Um, and it's awesome. Yeah. It's really, really cool, but it's so, it's one room really. It's just, it's tiny compared to club 33. It's very intimate compared to the salon and compared to the dining room. And I think even compared to the original version of club 33. Yeah. Absolutely. Even though it's, it's named something different. Like I understand why it's named club 1901, but I like the fact that it's not called anything close to club 33 because there's a distinction between the two, even though they're wrapped into the same package. The other ones are being branded as Club 33. And like I said, although it may be adorned inside with, you know, upscale furniture and to make it look like this really lavish experience, I don't know. I I think it takes away some of the magic of knowing that there isn't a unique Club 33 anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just Club 33 franchise around the world. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's it's. It's hard to because it is kind of for like Disneyland fans. It's kind of a, I don't know, almost like a bragging point. Like, you know, it has one of the most exclusive clubs in the entire world. Yeah. right? And now it's kind of watered down, you know, because you have to say, well, there's one at all the parks, but this one almost was the original parks, and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, it's just. It does take away from it. I agree. I have no idea how exclusive those other clubs are. I mean, the Tokyo one has been around forever, and I assume it's kind of the same exclusivity. But when you've got four of them at Disney World and like, I don't know, like who's clamoring to buy the Hollywood Studios Club 33 membership? You know, like, is it is it that neat? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure that with the way that Hollywood Studios is being positioned to go into the future mm-hmm. with Galaxy's Edge coming in and all of the renovations that are coming to the park, I think it's going to be more appealing to that type of fan that really enjoys that experience because I feel that Walt Disney World does have a, a lot of fans that are dedicated to the individual parks themselves. Like there are people that are hardcore into Epcot, hardcore into Magic Kingdom, hardcore into Animal Kingdom because they just love the safari, they love um you know, Pandora and the same thing is going to happen with Hollywood studios. Um, you know, so I, I understand that, but the fact that they're all split up is just weird. I don't know. Like if maybe if they only had one at magic kingdom, which seems to be like the closest, you know, relative to Disneyland, Mm -hmm. maybe, you know, and they were each on their 
respective main streets like they are in the other parks. But the fact that each park has one just, I don't know. At that point, it it just feels more like a money grab than anything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I get it's the same same concept everywhere. You know, it's nice to have a VIP area. You know, because think of all the executives that run Disney World. You know, the presidents or VPs or whatever that run that. You know, they're also entertaining executives out there. You know, yeah. for whatever projects they're doing and whatever you know so i get that they would want to have an exclusive place out there but yeah having one at every park i don't know yeah it it reduces the the magic of the exclusivity of it i guess especially when they're out in the open at least to me yeah oh yeah yeah the fact that they're not you know because a lot of people when they go to disneyland if they're not you know really into disney culture they don't know that there's something up there. Right. Like, and you even have to tell them. And even 1901 is fairly hidden because oh, it's you see super the main hidden. doors of Carthay Circle and yeah. you just think that you're entering the lounge area for Carthay. But if you're not aware of the Club 1901 door, mm-hmm. then you don't even know that there's a whole separate secret club in there. Yeah, it's re- well hidden. I actually assumed that it was either part of the second floor or that there was a third story. Until I went there and saw it for myself. Because I never perceived that that door on the right led to a different part of the building. Because I think I guess I just pictured it as a side door for the lounge. I don't know. I had no idea where it was. I just knew it was in that building somewhere. Yeah, I remember a long time ago uh, we were talking about 1901 and I forgot who it was. I don't remember if it was my brother that said it or or who exactly. Maybe you remember. But we were talking about how if the Tower of Terror had kept its branding and not become yes. a mission breakout, that yes. the top floor could have been the tip-top the club. Tip-top and that could have club. been the exclusive oh. club for California Adventure. Oh, that fact, would have been so rad. Yeah, the fact that they have that as part of the story and that they didn't actually make it is... it's. It's as heartbreaking to me as some of our great armchair imagineering things that we've come up with that now that I've conceived of them, the fact that they don't exist is is almost painful. (laughs) Like, that's one of them, man. Like, I loved all of the mystique and storytelling that was the Tower of Terror. I don't know if any of that same storytelling is in Hollywood Studios uh, with the TikTok Club and all that. I know that there's more, but I don't know if they have like a... A rooftop club or anything like that no, like don't. in the story so i i don't know that that is a sad sad thing that we never got to see come to fruition but yeah i agree that would have been amazing man <laughs> well if you guys have ever had a chance to visit club 33 or club 1901 we'd love to hear about your experience Uh, I know we've talked about it before. I had the opportunity to go in to the salon for my wife's birthday. Uh, We were invited by members that knew that that it was her birthday. And they said, hey, would you like to come get a drink? Uh, We weren't able to stay very long. So we were only there for a few minutes. But the fact that we were at least able to order a drink and she had a drink, I I had to drive. So, uh, you know, it was nice to be able to enter the club and just at least enjoy sitting in the very plush seats for a few minutes. 
and their wine cellar, oh, dude, it's like if you've ever walked into a cigar humidor that just has Ooh, shelves and shelves, yes. imagine a giant humidor but with bottles of wine. Yeah. Okay? It's it's very temperature controlled. As you're walking towards the salon, there's all these booths with all these magical photos of the haunted mansion and pirates. Oh, I think I've posted these on my Instagram account yeah. before. I'm going to look through them and then I'll repost them in the Podcateer story or I'll put them in the blog post for the episode as well if you want to check them out. Uh, maybe I'll post a few more this week. Just kind of like throwback Thursday or Sweet. you know, something. I like it. I like um, it. But yeah, it, I would love the opportunity to get a chance and have a meal there and hopefully have an actual drink, which is something I didn't get a chance to do the last time I was in there. Oh, um, man. Yeah, it, it's it's very magical. Uh, I would love to experience it. And more importantly, I would love for all of us to experience it together if that was ever possible. Uh, that'd be incredible. You know, it's, it's funny because... Um... If you break up your bucket list into like sub checkboxes, I could actually check off one sub checkbox in that in 2013, about a month and a half before it closed for its renovation, I did actually get an invite to go to Club 33. <gasps> and I think I may have told this story on the podcast before. Yeah, but I remember. It was back when my Instagram account was basically just photographs of my trips to California. I would come out here for like six days, visit the park, and take like 800 photos. And then when I went back home, like that's how I reconnected with Disneyland is I would just constantly post Disneyland photos. And somebody began following me who was a member. And they assumed, based on the frequency of my posts, that I lived there and invited me to the club and oh, no. I had just started a new job so I didn't have any PTO and I I you know didn't really have the money to go right back out there and so I had to pass on their invitation and then it went into renovation so I almost got to see it in the last weeks before you know when it was still the original club 33 but yeah uh, so I ch I can check off the invite box but I, I have another one next to it for the next invite that I get. And then gotcha. hopefully I'll be able to check gotcha. that next box of actually accepting the invitation. Yeah, no, <laughs> that that would be dandy, actually. Right. Uh, mine is also broken up the same, except mine includes having a meal and having a drink in the salon. Sure. That That's two things that I would love to do there um, because I, I don't know if it's still served. Yeah, I know that Chef Andrew... Um, has completely redone the menu. So I don't exactly know mm. what the like their best meal is, but I would love the opportunity to have that. And then I would also love to be able to one day rent out as a group uh, 21 Royal oh, because yeah. that is the other exclusive experience that they have in New Orleans Square right next to Club 33, adjacent to you know, what is you know, the dream suite essentially. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, 21 Royal is, is uh, available to non-members of club 33, but club 33 members get first dibs at making reservations. Yeah. Uh, it's only about 1200 bucks per person, you know, to be able to dine there. Uh, yeah. It is a five course meal, I believe. Uh, and it's, it's roughly $15,000 to rent out the venue for one dining experience. So if you and 14 of your friends want to get together 
<laughs> and rent it out to split it up uh, as evenly as possible. That might be the best way to do it. Oh, uh, but yeah, 21 Royal is certainly on my list. Having a meal in the the new uh, dining area of 33, having a drink in the salon and enjoying some music because nobody was playing music the day that we were there. Uh, and then um, I can knock 1901 off my list because mm-hmm. um, we yeah. conducted an interview there. So that was pretty awesome. Yeah, that was like a double bucket list. Moment. It was. <laughs> it was totally a double bucket list item. That's amazing. It's awesome. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, again, like I was saying, if you've had the opportunity to visit Club 33, 1901, or even 21 Royal, we'd love to hear your thoughts on your experience at any one of them. Uh, just, like I said, join the conversation. Leave us a comment on the blog post for this episode, podcasters.com slash 264, or on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcasters. All right, dude. Anything else before we wrap up the episode? That's it. Yeah, we're that's done. That's it. That's it. No, no surprises. You're not going to surprise me for my birthday with an invite to Club Thirty Three or anything. <sighs> I was going to leave it for the next episode, but surprise! <laughs> hey! We're going to McDonald's. Uh-oh. <laughs> thirty-three nuggets for thirty-three. Do they even sell that? That's no, sad. But I feel, they sell a I feel bad even saying that. A ten count <laughs> and a six count. So. You could have three, and I'll have the 33 that are I feel bad even saying that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's at least go to Sonic or somewhere better. I don't know. (laughs) Oh, speaking of, are you familiar with Bruxy chicken? Okay, it's in um, Orange, in like the Old Town Orange section. It's like, it's Bruxy something, like Bruxy chicken and waffles. Oh, my gosh, dude. Really? It's our new favorite. We've had it twice this weekend. <laughs> really? Oh, so good. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, 10 out of 10 stars. Okay. Well, yep. the next time I come over, we're going to go grab us some Bruxy then. I like it. I like it. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this episode. So until next time, keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone. Major look.